How's about we write some more stories? How's about we tell some more tales? Gather round the fire, maybe read for just a while, and we'll listen to the stories unveiled. Oh, we'll see if we succeeded writing stories no one needed from suggestions that you shared. Hey there, and welcome back to the campfire. My name is Colby McHugh, and this is, of course, the S'more Stories podcast, where we are on the never-ending quest to figure out what makes a good story. And we've had an eventful few weeks here on S'more Stories, beginning with a fantastic weekend up in Charlotte, North Carolina, for Heroes Con, the best damn comic convention around, uh, which will all be recounted in the next two episodes following this one as a, a two-part series, and uh, I can't wait for everyone to hear how that con went. It's, it's the best. And the second piece of exciting news is that my book, Kill Collins is now on a shelf, and not just my shelf anymore, but on the shelves of the coolest records and comic shop in Atlanta, Criminal Records. So if you're in Atlanta, go check them out, snag yourself a copy. We've already sold out once, so please make me have to bring them more books. Let's let's try to sell out again. But the reason why you're not getting that incredibly specific Spore Stories on the road episode uh, just yet is incredibly cool and incredibly fun. So that same convention in Charlotte that I mentioned, Heroes Con, uh, was full of the nicest, coolest people, artists, writers all over the place. Uh, and it was immensely inspiring meeting those people and talking nerd shit for just three days straight. Uh, I already miss it. <laughs> I truly miss it so much. Uh, while at the convention, I had the great pleasure of meeting this episode's guest, a gentleman who is working in the comics world, creating lots of cool books. But the one we're talking about today is still in the works. Like, Literally, the Kickstarter is still going and has about a week and a half left, so I decided to push up this episode with a quick turnaround, and we're going to do our best to get this awesome project over the finish line. Now, I'm excited to find out more about Cosmic Caveman and the ideas behind it, but also hear the story that our guest wrote for this episode. So please, welcome to the S'more Stories Campfire, Noah Ray. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and also, you say hey there at the beginning of your podcast. That's always my intro on my podcast, too. And it... no one can see it, but we're dressed the exact same today. It's so fitting that we start our podcast yeah. in the same way because we literally do look identical right now. We yeah. have to point that out. Uh, we are both wearing red shirts. We both have glasses. We both have a, a mustache and we look fresh and we both we are do. wearing a hat currently. So uh, I think yeah. while this is an audio medium... I'm going to post a clip of this just for the sheer uh, funniness of how how similar we look right now. <laughs> yeah, we're very coordinated for people who've only met each other once in person. So that's, yeah, I'm very happy to be here, Colby. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. And yes, it was uh, so delightful chatting with you up at, up at, uh, at Heroes in Charlotte. Um, and I'm so excited literally to just talk about stories with you some more because we already talked about some stuff at your table um i've of course already backed cosmic caveman i think everybody listening should back it i think it is so cool such a great idea i love the inspiration behind it uh, from what we talked about and i'm excited to hear some more about it um but I, i'm always curious with our with our guests kind of what their origin story is with you know storytelling and creativity like was this something that you were always drawn to uh growing up or was it kind of maybe developed later in life what's what's kind of your story with it well, first off, thank you for backing Cosmic Caveman. Any any support is just incredibly amazing. So it means a lot that you backed it. It means a lot that you stopped by the table and let me 
gives you my whole spiel about it. That was awesome. And you bought some books too, which was really nice of you. But my origin um, is sort of how I tell it usually is that uh, I come from more of like the art side of storytelling. Uh, so I'm, my comics in the past before have been mostly me drawing. This is my first time solo writing a comic for another artist. Um, I've written with my, my podcast co-host, Matt Kuhn, and we've written some shorts and I've co-written on, on books that I've drawn, but this is my first time writing a comic. So drawing came to me because my parents needed me to sit still during church growing up. And uh, they were like, you know, like tell me to like, you know, just shut up. Don't make any moves. You know, we're, we're here to talk about Jesus, not about superheroes. So just draw superheroes. So, you know, um, I just, that's what it was. I would just fill up my notebooks with superheroes and Star Wars sketches and things like that. And I had a bag of markers and a sketchbook that I carried around with me everywhere I went. And to this day, I still do that. I have like a bag of markers and a sketchbook that I carry around everywhere I go. So, you know, Hell my yeah. parents needing to like control my ADHD ass, like set me down the, like, you know, the route of being a comic book artist, which is great. You know, then, you know, after that, like, you know, I, I fell in love with comics, you know, just reading them growing up, checking them out from the library, getting ones here and there, that kind of thing. Um, I didn't go to like, I didn't do a full four years of college, but I did community college. And I did a lot of art classes there. And I had one professor, he gave me, you know, he had me do uh, a sequential art pro um, project. He really liked it. And he was very encouraging for me to go into comics. I always liked drawing comics, you know, just for fun. But mm -hmm. this was kind of a nice push to have someone say, you're good at this. And then I had another professor say that. And then I had another professor after that. So, you know, if you have three, it was nice to have like three very influential people in my life, just encouraging me. And then obviously the support of family and friends. And it means a lot to have that. So that's my origin. And, you know, since then I've, I've, drawn a couple of books. I've done a lot of anthologies and I do my, I co-host the uh, Constructing Comics podcast with my co-host Matt Kuhn and we interview a lot of creators on there like yourself. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I, I love that. Uh, I'm super excited to check out your podcast as well. Uh, another another tick in the similarities box of the two of us. Right yeah. Now. Uh, actually, here's another one. Uh, I did also grow up in a church. Uh, my dad was a pastor, so oh. uh, I can relate to uh, just being told to shut up in the in the aisles of a of a yeah. church during a sermon. Uh, when I'm just like I'm, I'm and, I, and I was not good at art, but I did do a lot of doodles in in yeah. those uh, brochures and stuff during the sermons. <laughs> yeah, no, like I uh, I learned how to take notes because I was taught to like you know I was told to bring like a bring a notebook and my sketchbook and things like that. So when I like, you know, doing classes, I was always really good at taking notes to the point where I never really had to read any of the assignments because I was a good note taker. But I was also really good at like drawing while I was taking notes and partly due to my parents, you know, making me do that in church. So it was great. Hell yeah. You're um, utilizing yeah. skills the, that you developed as a kid and now are just like part of your, you know, your, your life now. And that's so cool. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I owe it all to them. I don't go to church anymore, but I still know how to take notes. and I still know how to draw. So that's good. You know, I don't but, go to church yeah. and I don't know how to take notes and I also don't know how to draw. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can write a little bit. That's that's what I what I've you learned. can you can write pretty well, dude, for what you knocked out. And I don't know how long you took you to write your story, but what time you had. You knocked out a, a solid one from what I'm reading. So <laughs> thank you, I appreciate yeah. that. I do. Um, yeah. I, I I'm excited to hear hear more about uh, your Kickstarter, the current Kickstarter, Cosmic Caveman, uh, mm -hmm. because when we when we spoke uh, up at, up in Charlotte, 
um, you mentioned some of the inspirations for it. And I think that was what like, oh my God, like we like the exact same things. This is so cool. Yeah. And, and of course, like when you showed me the art and stuff as well and the concept, uh, you know, I was, I was sold, I was so in. And so I'm excited to hear kind of where the, the basis of that idea kind of came from for you. So, I mean, yeah, both, most of it's just love of, of classic cartoons from the early 2000s, like on Toonami, um, like the cartoons on Toonami, like Samurai Jack. Um, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't on Toonami originally, but like the Justice League cartoon, like the Bruce Tim mm -hmm. Justice League cartoon, those were formative to me in my early years. And how I uh, met up with Clint Kaiser, the artist on Cosmic Caveman, is I was commissioning him to do, um, he has a very like Tartakovsky inspired style, not like a copy, like a direct one-to-one -one or anything like that, but he mm -hmm. definitely has that influence there. So I found his art. I wanted to commission him to do some art inspired by the 2D micro series, um, the Clone Wars micro series, again, Tartakovsky did. Yeah. So I've just been commissioning him for to do, draw clone troopers over the last three years. And I've collected a lot of those, but I also have a lot of his other art. And I hit a spot last year where I just was like, I really want to see Clint draw a comic because um, he hadn't drawn one yet. And um, so I had a couple ideas bouncing around. Uh, the idea of Cosmic Caveman actually came while I was drawing a comic called Dino Thrashers. And um, Dino Thrashers was sort of a throwback to 90s cartoons like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers about anthropomorphic dinosaur warriors fighting bad dinosaur warriors. And uh, we did two issues. I drew two issues of that and the series kind of got put on hold. Um, but I wanted to tell more stories with like anthropomorphic dinosaurs Mm -hmm. in sort of like a sci-fi setting. But I also had like, you know, I had origin stories for like different characters I really wanted to explore. So I basically copied and pasted a lot of those stories into Cosmic Caveman and then sent it over to Clint. And he clicked with it because my my writing style is like he got that I was trying to go for that like Samurai Jack feel. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to write to his strengths as an artist because I knew we all liked the same stuff. So he really dug the script, really dug the idea. And um, we've got five pages done, all the characters do designs done. Um, we just need help right now on the Kickstarter to get it funded and completed. But mm -hmm. um, that's the origin of the book. To pitch the book, I guess, itself is that it is like uh, it's a nonstop action ride, definitely trying to throw back to classic cartoons. Follows a caveman. His name is Crad. He's trying to rescue a baby triceratops from a crazy cult of volcano-worshipping brachiosauruses. And they've sicked these um, raptor mercenaries on him. So they're, uh, so Krad and the baby Triceratops are sort of on a mad dash to get to his spaceship before the planet that they're all on explodes. Um, and so the, the Brachiosauruses are trying to get the baby Triceratops because they believe that sacrificing the baby will save the planet from being engulfed in fire. So that's the plot. <laughs> it's 20 pages of action. That's the plan. Clint's awesome. I, I'm having a fun time on the book. I'm having a fun time promoting the book. So. I, yeah. it's, I remember you told me that kind of set up for the story that it was like a nonstop action thrill ride now involving yeah. kind of like anthropomorphic cosmic dinosaur people like that's so fun and such a cool idea and like not something that you have heard of anywhere else. And, uh, and one other thing that I love about it, uh, I, I think names are fun to come up with and the name Crad for uh, a caveman person is so funny and awesome. I love that. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> it's, I, it's you a, went through a lot of iterations. <laughs> um, I, and you mentioned something earlier, kind of the inspiration behind it was like the, the classic, like Gendy Tartakovsky cartoons of, of the 2000s. Um, 
I kind of want to talk about animation for a little bit because mm-hmm. I love animation. It's not something that I've had the chance to really uh, give love to on the podcast that much. Um, but like like you said, like his work, like Samurai Jack, Dexter's Laboratory, the the kind of mini Clone Wars episodes, like he was such a cool uh, kind of auteur in animation of those uh, those early 2000s. And I feel like there was such a cool influence of, of just fun ideas back then. And, um, and you mentioned Toonami as well, which was such a huge source of everything <laughs> that it just introduced like us American kids, us church American kids to things that we probably yeah. would, wouldn't have been int- introduced to otherwise. Yeah, no, I, um, Tartakovsky has always sort of like been the big thing. I think it was one of the first creators where I knew the name of the person. Like there were, there were artists and like directors and things like that, that I knew the names of, like, I always knew who, knew who Stanley was, you know, uh, I knew George Lucas, I knew Peter Jackson, that kind of stuff, you know, because you just grew up in the 2000s and you're a boy, but, you know, Gany Tartakovsky was a big one where it was like the 2D micro series of Clone Wars. Like they would have him come on sometimes before they would debut the shorts and he would talk about them. He would talk about Samurai Jack and Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Laboratory and things like that. Just so freaking cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but also kind of like, was like a tastemaker for me was like his cartoons because, uh, watching how they're paced and how they're just so visually driven is just sort of what I look for in all media, you know, not just like, you know, TV or, you know, film, but also in comics. Like I, Mm -hmm. I kind of like, there's a language to his stuff that I really feel for me makes the most satisfying stories. So going to see like Spider-Verse recently and there being scenes where it's just like visuals driven, like there's no music, it's just visuals. Mm-hmm. Like that means a lot to me because that was Samurai Jack and there'd just be like just visuals and sound effects or there'd be scenes where it's just musically driven. That kind of thing is just so great. But that comes from Tartakovsky because that was his big thing was obviously like the incredible animation follows all the principles of, you know, like squash and stretch and, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, um, and anticipation and like, you know, and kinetic energy, those kinds of things. Uh, but also it's just good filmmaking in the sense of how he edits things together. So yeah, I'm all over the place. There's a lot of things I love about Tartakovsky, but tastemaker for sure for me with all his stuff. Um, I think yeah. the, you mentioned the idea of uh, his storytelling and, and how yeah. he was able to like convey emotions, convey action without like, giving dialogue and and really without much of like a story sometimes too like he is just able to create this kind of emotion these kind of feelings um and 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 it's so cool that he's just continued to do cool things like he never stopped like i know we mentioned uh that you have not watched primal yet if i remember correctly no i've tried not to which is understandable because you know you you don't want to influence yourself with with his ideas, but he does have a new show yeah. out on HBO or on Max, I guess now, um, called Unicorn Warriors Eternal. That is crazy, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and like again, it's just you, you you get to see kind of a master uh, of the medium at work, and it's just so fun to let to let his imagination run wild, you know. Yeah, it really is, and I I'm actually I'm saving up all the Tartakovsky I missed for after the Kickstarter. Hopefully we get funded and then that will be my reward is sort of sitting down and catching up on Primal and Unicorn. And I really am excited to check both of those out. Mm-hmm. And I'm also excited to rewatch Samurai Jack because I just, I'm due for a rewatch here soon. Um, 
but no, yeah, it's like, I don't feel like I'm that special in saying that like he defined a lot of like what I love, you know, that kind of thing. Cause like we all kind of grew up around that time, but even people now, like I I've shown some of his cartoons to my niece and she's eight years old and she loves the stuff. Like she loves, she loves how quiet it is and how easily, like how readable all his stuff is because it is, like you said, it's just simple um, storytelling, but effective storytelling in order to get it done quickly you know, it, it gets in, it gets out and it's beautiful in that time. It's, it's wonderful. So, you know, it, it's, it's just, I love that. I love hearing, that, mm-hmm. you know, your niece is still into stuff like that. My, my niece is oh, also yeah. into very cool stuff as well. And so like my goal is to be the cool uncle. That's all I want to be. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and I love introducing her to like cool comics and books and, you know, cartoons, that kind of stuff. Um, oh Yeah. I, one question that I, I try to ask all of our guests because I, everybody has a different answer and I think it's fascinating. Uh, and you kind of touched on it a little bit with an earlier answer, but in general, whether as broad as you want or as like granular as you want to explain it, what to you makes a good story? Like what makes you connect with a story in any kind of medium? I think um, it really depends on how well I think certain things are done, but I'm sorry to go back to Spider-Verse. I was thinking about that recently because I kind of thought, cause I, I watched some movies last year that made me cry. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, you know, like, or like, it like really got to like hit me in my gut. And I was like, Oh, this is what a movie that I love, you know, or like it just, it, it made me uncomfortable afterwards or something. So like last year sitting through like Banshees of Inisherin was like, that movie didn't make me cry, but that movie like elicited an emotional response from me that I was not expecting it to. That was great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've, I've watched it a lot since then, just because I'm like, I don't know what it is about this movie, but I just really dig it. And, um, but like with, with what's interesting with like Spider-Verse this year and um, like it got an emotional response for me, but it just, it was something for me is like, this is a very broad thing, but I want to, be in this world with them no matter what's happening at the moment mm. you know so like with banshees of inisherin i think it's the characters are just so interesting the dialogue is just so well done you just want to sit in that space and listen to those people talk because mm. it's really satisfying and in spider-verse it's like i love the visual i love everything about that movie i think i love everything about banshees of inisherin too like everything just sort of has to hit me on like a nice sensory level where i'm just happy to be here whether the plot's predictable or not, or whether, you know, what, what keeps me engaged, I guess, is the immersion, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel something like Spider-Verse is very visuals heavy. So I kind of put it on the visuals there, but something like Banshee's of Sharon is very dialogue driven. So I'm very like immersed in the dialogue there, but even in the like, comics, you know, um, I've recently been rereading Daniel Warren Johnson stuff. Yes. Even before the, even before the Transformers thing was announced, I just sort of got back into reading, rereading some of his books. Mm-hmm. And I feel immersed in his stuff. Like, I think it's, I think it's his lines, like his inks are sort of what get me like immersed in the story. But even then, like rereading uh, Murder Falcon, like I, that elicited like a deep emotional response to me too. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that's a very broad answer, but I guess immersion is a big thing for me. It's kind of why I keep going back to Star Wars, you know, like I just feel like being there, you know? Sure. When you, when you find yeah. a world that you love, you want to spend time in that world. And I think that is such a good answer because- it, yeah. it is so specifically applicable to like so many different things. And I love that you mentioned 
two very different types of movies that I also love. Spider-Verse is obviously like a masterpiece. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I loved Banshees of Inishirin so much that that writer, that director uh, also did one of my all time favorite movies in Bruges. Oh, yeah. Um, which is just incredible. I'm always in on whatever he does next. And so I love that those are two just kind of polar opposites from like a yeah. content, from a story standpoint. But you're right. They do create worlds that you just want to spend time in for very different reasons. Um, and that's so cool. And you're right with Daniel Warren Johnson as well. Like he's able to create like bombastic action, but also like have emotion behind his characters as well. And so you do want to just spend time in these these worlds that he's created. So I love a yeah. good broad answer because that is that's just the world of stories, you know. Well, what is it for you? What do you what do you what what makes a good story for you? Nobody's ever asked me. <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm feel I'm very curious now because yeah. I was like I kind of wish you had led. I like I was like oh I wish you would have led with his answer, but yeah, I please think, tell me. Yeah, I think it kind of fluctuates for me from time to time. I think most often it's when I can connect to at least a single character. Like, mm. and they don't have to be like a good character. They don't have to be a, uh, like a villain either. It's just like, I have to find something with that person that I can connect to, whether it's maybe their dialogue is like naturally written or delivered and it just feels right. Um, and then getting to see that character interact with the world of the story, uh, the other characters in that story. Um, so I think if there's like one dynamic character that I can kind of latch on to in anything, then I'm kind of in like I, I can kind of look away from some other maybe faults of a story if I'm just like, you know, Jackie Chan is the best, you know, whatever. Who cares if the story is stupid? Like I want to see Jackie Chan do cool stuff and be Jackie Chan, you know, that, and that's just yeah. an example of somebody. But I think I think that's maybe my current thing where it's just like I just want to latch onto a character and, and enjoy them. Mm -hmm. you know? um, maybe they, they're unique. They're not like anything I've seen before, you know. Um, and maybe ask me that question in a year or less, maybe even, and I'll have a different answer, but that's maybe my best one at this point. You know, and that's, that's where I find that when I'm talking with people like about the topic of like what stories they like and maybe even interpreting stories that they like, it's really good to sort of talk to them on a level. Like I got, I had a discussion with a guy recently about American psycho mm -hmm. and, um, he was like, you know, you kind of want to be Patrick Bateman. And I'm like, I don't think you do like that kind of thing. I was like, it's like, I wanted to say, I was like, but Patrick Bateman's a compelling character because yes. his goals are very well defined in the sense that, you know, you understand what Patrick Bateman's after, you know, even though he doesn't, you know what he wants and you know what he's looking for. Yes. That's why he's so compelling to watch. It's kind of the same with people who think like Walter White's a good guy. Like, no, you don't think he's a good guy. You just relate to him because his goals are so clear, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be like, that sounds an awful lot like telling people what they think, but it's kind of <laughs> like, hopefully telling them like, no, the Joker is not a good person. That kind of thing. It's like, but you get it. Like, you yes. get where Heath Ledger's Joker is coming from, but you don't want to be him, hopefully, you know? Yes. They're good because um, they're relatable. That's what makes them yeah. good characters, but they're not like aspirational. And I sound like a, I sound like a real pretentious jerk telling people what they think, <laughs> like what they should do. But it's kind of, it's a good conversation to have with people on that level to explain to them, like, you don't have to relate to just good guys, you know, with goals, mm -hmm. but that's sort of the hard thing. And it was funny was walking out of Spider-Verse with my niece. I took her to go see it. And she was asking about main characters and things like that. 
And this movie was big for her because Gwen isn't always doing the right thing, you know? And, and I was like, yeah, but she's the, what you would call a protagonist, that kind of thing. Like not a hero. She's just a protagonist. So it was really good to talk with her about that Mm because like my niece is eight, but she's already going to be like so much more media literate than I ever was probably than I am now, like by the time she's like 13. So, you know, um, it's just a good thing, to, good thing to discuss, but also just goals are just so important in characters. Like you have to understand what people want and yeah, which is sort of funny because it, it feels like there are stories that like that wasn't considered and it's like, it's just, yeah. So you're, you're totally right. Yeah. And I, I think the more, the more that I write, the more that I'm hopefully figuring out how to write a character that does have, you know, goals and have, has wants and it's doesn't always work out sometimes. You know, in, in these more stories, sometimes they don't quite have that that level of depth. But, you know, and that's OK. That's not the point of this podcast. You know, it's it's right to do it and make yourself do it. Uh, and so yeah. that's, that's why I was so excited when 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 I sent you the, the options and we were like, we could do a fireside chat, which is, you know, just a conversation, no writing. And you're like, no, I want to write like I want to do this. And I was like, hell, yeah, this is, this uh-huh. is super exciting. I want the full experience. I was like, I don't want to go half. I want a whole yeah, I want the whole thing. And I have yeah. nothing but respect for that because there was a quick turnaround. We had a, maybe two days, two or three days to to write these stories. And so um, I think maybe now is a good time to to introduce the topic for these I stories. I think so. That yeah. you chose. So uh, the topic that you chose uh, is Worst Special Effects CGI in a Blockbuster Movie. And that was submitted by Brad Roby, who uh, is a friend of mine and also uh, was a middle school teacher of mine. Oh, <laughs> so, cool. So, so thanks, Coach Roby. M- much appreciated. Yeah, thanks, Coach. <laughs> uh, so so what made you choose uh, the worst special effects CGI in a Blockbuster movie uh, among all those other weirdos? Well, I think if you can't tell, like I, I like talking about movies and I definitely like talking about special effects and visual effects in film. I could definitely talk about it all day. I think also I just relate to artists in general. So I've, I've watched a lot of videos about of VFX artists talking about their stuff and had nothing but respect for all of them and all the work that they put into it. So it was the easiest one for me. I was thinking about like, oh, what would be a really cool, challenging out of the box thing? So I was looking at all of those. But then I was like, we do have a quick turnaround. I probably should just go with something that I know. Um, not that I wrote it like and with any nuance, like with any like insight into being a VFX artist or anything like that. But I was like, I know movies. I can, I, um, you know, maybe I can write about them, I guess. But yeah. And yeah. We, what do you like about it? Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. We don't do nuance on some more stories. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I love it because I also love movies. I, uh, I, go to see movies as often as possible um and i especially love blockbuster movies uh because Mm -hmm. so rarely are they good uh unfortunately and so uh i was very excited when you picked it because i think there's a lot to talk about with a subject like this and it is also very very specific so because like some of the topics in there are mega vague and don't really give any specifics or details or anything and this is like pretty straightforward and so mm-hmm. I, I'm really really excited to to see what you went with uh, for your story and, and I still don't know how I feel about mine but maybe I'll come around to it eventually I bet yours is really good um, mine is a tonal disaster so I and it's not well written on top of that so I'm just excited to write to read it out loud um, 
but it's also very topical, I guess. It's a very topical topic because like every with every blockbuster that's come out this year, except like maybe I haven't heard anything around Transformers, VFX, animation, all of that is in the discussion around the criticism of the blockbusters that have been coming out this summer. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. starting with like Guardians and then into like Little Mermaid and uh, The Flash and Spider-Verse. And I'm sure now with Indiana Jones coming, I guess at the time of this recording, by the time it's out, it'll be out, you know, mm-hmm. well, you know, so um, I'm excited to excited to hear what you read. It sounds like yours is a very personal story. So could you go first? I could go first. I could definitely go first. Thank and you. and I, I love that you uh, mentioned kind of the this year's crop of uh, blockbuster movies, because that will be a part of the discussion, at least for my story, yeah. uh, for sure. I think so. so. Yeah. So uh, I do have a title for mine, which I don't often have uh, or often think of at least. Uh, but I did think this one was kind of fun. So this story is called Heart in a Render. Uh, and so we, I will read and then we will uh, discuss the story a little bit. Six a.m. Final deadline for render. The subject of the email was clear enough. No need to open it. Rosie rubbed her eyes, thinking that somehow might change the terrifying number. Nope. Still read six a.m. I'm fucked. She whispered, sitting at her desk in the studio. Everyone else had gone home already, leaving the cubicle area almost entirely dark except for her brightly lit double monitor display. I'm so fucking fucked. Why was she so stressed about this? Rosie was just one of hundreds of animators working their asses off to get the VFX ready, but this incredibly last-second deadline push-up from the supervising producer was a nightmare scenario. She'd been trying to finish her assigned project, a single shot, less than a second long, but during the pivotal final battle against the ultimate big bad of the franchise, Belgarf the Fell Demon. Rosie had completed this assignment no less than seven times already, but each time it got sent back by her higher up because of notes from the director, some jobber who thought himself an auteur, the next Hitchcock or some shit. All Rosie knew was that she had seven hours to finish off the latest round of notes that Bradley, her middleman-ass, micromanaging-ass boss, emailed her this afternoon. Already sweating, she opened the email and read further. If you do not submit your work by the 6 a.m. deadline, you can be sure we'll get roasted on Twitter and you can be double sure that you will be used as the scapegoat. The reason our huge tentpole movie looks terrible. So get that work in, or you'll be the downfall of not only yourself, but all of us. I hope this email finds you well. Wait, that's supposed to come at the beginning. Shit. Oh, the stupid dictation thing is still going. God damn it, I'm not going to say all that again. Whatever. Send it. 6 a.m. deadline. Jesus, send already. Bradley's job was almost certainly on the line, Rosie concluded. That, unfortunately, meant that so was hers, and all the other 125 animators copied on that email. Not even blind copied. Bastard. I can't be the scapegoat, she murmured to herself. I don't even like goat cheese. Rosie yawned. She hadn't slept in. She looked down at her watch. 27 hours. Her brain felt like mud that had been stomped in by a bunch of elephants and rhinos and dinosaurs. Yeah, she was feeling loopy. Rosie took a swig from her energy drink, the only thing keeping her moving at the moment. This was her fourth. Tonight. She blinked and started editing the shot, pixel by pixel. Dreadful work. Hours passed, blended together in an uneasy state of, basically, conscious. Suddenly, Rosie heard a noise behind her, some sort of future sound, like from a Halo game. Then, a beam of light appeared just a few feet away from her cubicle, nearly blinding to look at. 
Before words came to her, she felt her rolling chair begin to roll away from the desk and toward the light. A piercing scream erupted from Rosie's throat as she reached for anything to grab hold of, but she was being pulled too fast and felt her weight lift from the rolling chair as everything in her vision went bright white before she lost consciousness. When she woke up, her entire office was gone, replaced by a shimmery white space with seemingly no walls, drifting off into endless eternity. Uh, hello? Rosie asked, her brain still foggy and discombobulated. Bradley? Is this you? Listen, man, I get it. I'm running behind. Silence, Rosie Parker, a booming voice said that seemingly came from everywhere around her. Who is this Bradley? There is little time for such questions. We are from... Okay, 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 so... Rosie interrupted, very much not remaining silent. Like, I get it. You're uh, an alien or something, right? That's so cool. It really is. But I got to get back to the studio now or I'm for sure fired. Rosie looked around the endless white room and down at her hands to make sure that she wasn't dreaming. The voice remained silent. So can you send me back? She asked. No, the booming voice replied. You, Rosie Parker, are the hero of the stars. A savior foretold for millennia by our prophets. It must be you who defeats the evil Scarlax and returns unity to our once utopian world. But my... Rosie began, but was instantly erupted by the voice. I heard you the first time, Rosie Parker, it said. Our technology has millennia of evolutionary development. Thus, after you completed the prophecy, our plan was to send you back in time to the exact point in the timeline where we picked you up. That way... And save our entire galaxy and be back in time to uh, not lose your job. Oh, Rosie said with a big smile. Why didn't you start with that? Yeah, let's do it. Take me to your leader. Wait, I think it might be the other way around. Whatever, I'm in. Scarlax is going down. Easy peasy. No words from the voice, but a feeling radiated through her. It seemed pleased. Then the light took her away yet again. Ten years passed as Rosie Parker became embroiled in a galactic war against Scarlax and his forces of destruction. The things she witnessed during this conflict would stay with her forever, but Rosie ascended to become the hero of the stars that was foretold so long ago. After endless battles and untold losses, Rosie finally drove her Cosmosis sword through Scarlax's heart on his home planet, ending the centuries-old conflict and securing peace. Rosie let herself take a breath for the first time in years. Still not sure if it could actually be over. Thank you, Rosie Parker, said that familiar booming voice after remaining completely silent for the last five years of this journey. Then, in a split second, her world, her entire perspective, suddenly felt like it was thrown in a blender. A kaleidoscope of colors, feelings, and space. And she was back. Back on Earth. Back in the studio. Back in her cubicle. Her eyes went straight to the computer and Rosie remembered. Her fucking deadline. The psychic whiplash of her arrival felt like she'd been run over by a truck, but seeing that stupid email subject on her display hit even harder, like she'd never left. After staring at the email for a few minutes, Rosie decided something. She decided to take a nap. Bradley's deadline could wait, scapegoat or not. And so, Rosie Parker rested her head on that uncomfortable desk and slept peacefully, ignoring the occasional notification alert that popped up throughout the night. A few months later, when the movie finally came out, the faux auteur of a director was the scapegoat, and he definitely got roasted on Twitter. No sweat for the hero of the stars. The end.
That was wonderful. That was heartwarming. God, that was like a Pixar short, dude. That was good. <laughs> I appreciate it. It was a it was a fun yeah. story to to kind of brainstorm, and I uh-huh. I really enjoyed the tight timeline that we had. Like, because normally I get like a while to noodle around with stories and go back and change stuff, and like you know overthink everything a bunch. But with this, since I only had a couple days. I kind of had to like think hard <laughs> for like, yeah. for a while, and uh, it, normally I don't have to do that, and so I kind of enjoyed that little challenge of it, you know. Well, I'm glad I forgot to send you my choice right away, because you wouldn't have had as tight of a time. That's why. That's a, you know, you're welcome. Um, is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> uh, dude. I'm really. Uh, I mean, I am sorry that it took me so long to pick up pick a topic, but this if this is just you on a tight timeline with like a deadline this is really good i like so where did you start with this did you start with like did you start with the scene like and then just follow the the narrative or where'd you go where'd so you start with this it, the the basis of the idea kind of came uh last week i saw the flash movie mm-hmm. uh, in theaters it was you know kind of whatever uh there were some good things about it there was a lot of weird slash kind of bad things about it as well but the CGI was weird. There's no way to like get around it. I'm not going to say that it was like terrible, uh, but it was like kind of weird. I, there's no other way to say it. Um, and because of what I know about like animators and people that work in the industry, I mostly felt bad for them for a movie like that, that has been in, you know, development hell for like a decade basically now. Like, so I don't blame them at all for any kind of weirdness in the CGI. And so, so when you chose this as the topic, I was like, Oh, I feel like I can kind of talk about, that kind of mindset hopefully a little bit and like crunch the 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 culture of crunch like in studios and in gaming studios as well like how just shitty that sounds and how stressful that idea sounds of like trying to just work 24 hours straight to get this deadline in um, and, and it's not something that i've done personally like i don't have that that skill or uh or experience in my life but i i, I worked at an art school for a few years recently and uh talk to a lot of animators a lot of students that were doing that and that was kind of the sense that I got from a lot of them as well and so uh, I was definitely kind of tapping into their experience uh, with this and and then as I started writing it I had started kind of with the beginning scene of of this this girl Rosie who was an animator had this deadline and I couldn't figure out like where I wanted to go with it from there because everything everything I could think of was just boring and then I was like what if I give her an excuse why the CGI sucks in whatever movie that she's working on. Uh, I didn't even name it, um, but I, I I kind of thought, okay, how ridiculous can I get then? Once I gave myself that freedom of like, okay, let's do something weird with it. So I was like, okay, aliens sound kind of fun. Uh, galactic war sounds fun. And then uh, time travel, like putting a little bit of time travel there at the end, uh, just to kind of wrap things back up. Um, and I didn't really know how I wanted to end it. Uh, endings are hard always. Um, and so I, I think the idea of, I, I think I might've written a couple sentences too many at the end. I probably should have cut it off early, but I don't know. <laughs> I liked it. I like how you kind of gave a little mini epilogue at the end, you know, just to help us follow up on what, how, how did the movie get received and the reality that, yeah, the director is going to be the one who gets lambasted in the end. It's not really going to be the VFX artists. Right. I kind of had the same thing happen with my story as well. Like where I just sort of was like, I only have a short amount of time to write this. I don't want to put, I want to put thought into it, but I want to have fun doing it too, because Mm -hmm. it's going to 
help make the process go faster, make me help me make decisions quicker. Um, but I like that it's a, I'm going to read deeply into this story. I like sure. the self-care at the center of it the whole time while I was reading it. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about just being overwhelmed. We all understand that we all understand deadlines, but the idea that like, like life or death scenario with this deadline, you know, I like that you put the character into a life or death scenario so that when she comes back, the idea of a deadline just doesn't seem that daunting. And it's sort of a nice, that's the nice thing about art. It can be so comforting because it's like you can go to a story or a piece of art and like feel and get and be comforted by it. So Colby, you comforted me today with your story. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so It was honored. very, yeah, I was very comforted. It was a very comforting thought at the end. Her taking a nap was just a perfect choice, you know, for her final action. I love that. Thank you. I, yeah. I thought it. I thought it made sense. You know, the idea of because yeah, you're right. Like we've all we've all felt like overwhelming stress, especially in the last few years. You know, the pandemic mm -hmm. brought that out of all of us for various reasons, and so uh, like we all, it's re very relatable. And so the idea of giving Rosie something that did actually feel like you know galactic consequences, you know, it kind of reshapes your perspective and be like, you know what it's okay if I don't get this in, you know, it's not the end of the world. The sky isn't going to fall, you know, and, uh, and, and I do love a good nap sometimes, especially if I'm very yeah. stressed. <laughs> a stress yeah, dude. Nice. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. I loved it so much. It was very relatable. And I liked, uh, it felt like a fresh take on, well, it felt like never ending story more than I would say, like something like the last Starfighter with how mm -hmm. you ended it. You know, I'm, but, I'm not, but actually, no, it's kind of like Last Starfighter in a lot of ways. That's like classic 80, 80s things, like, you know, where someone gets ripped out of their own world and into another world. So I was definitely you know, pulling from like yeah. an existing genre. Uh, yeah. Was it uh, Isekai? Like the, the manga? Oh, yeah. Term? Yeah, for that. Yes, thank you. Because I was trying to remember, like, there is an actual term for this, and I can't remember what it is. And it was funny, it was someone brought that up in a conversation I was with recently, and I was like, oh, might use that, and I already forgot the term. So <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a good term to know, because it is like yeah. so so descriptive of so many stories, uh, yeah. and it just happens to be a word that kind of, I guess, originated in, in like manga-type stories, but isekai, when somebody is like transported to a different world that is not their own, uh, and then, I don't know, there might be more to it than that, but yeah, I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> No, no. Well, that's the nice thing about like Japanese media in general. They have like a term for all the different types of like genres. Like I, I've heard it before, but I made friends with a guy recently who's really into tokusatsu. And that was something where I was like, when he started using that term, I'm like, well, I'm never not going to use that in a conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. And, um, and that remind me, the tokusatsu yeah. is like the, the kind of the older like Power Rangers type store. I don't even remember how, don't know how to describe them. The live action, like action shows basically. Yeah, like, well, it's like, it's always involves a character, like, transforming into a bigger character to fight a giant monster or something right. like that. Yeah. So, like, Pacific Rim is technically a tokusatsu, and Power Rangers and, like, Ultraman and things like that. Like, that's, yeah. It's different than, like, kaiju films, though, because, like, kaiju, they're always monsters, mm -hmm. but tokusatsu is always, like, human. It's, like, transformation is sort of always a part of it, from what it sounds like, so. I, I love, yeah. yeah, you're right. I love that they have, like, terms there it's a very like media literate yeah. culture and so they've got terms for a lot of like story stuff that i think english and america just doesn't really have and so yeah it probably makes sense why we don't know anything about genres here yeah really this is you said isekai is this genre yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to remember that for the next conversation to sound smarter. So I, I, yeah. I, I felt smart saying it. I'll say that. You, you <laughs> looked smart saying it. And that's not just because we look the same right now. <laughs> we look the same yeah. right now to remind yeah. our listeners. We look identical uh-huh. right now. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for the, for the kind words. I think that was, uh, it's, it's always nice to hear uh, that, it, that it connects with, with somebody and maybe it brought some comfort to you as well. Um, yeah. It but, made me feel cozy. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Perfect, perfect for the, for telling stories right by the fire, the, the more stories. Yeah. Fire. Um, but now I think it's maybe time to read your story. Cool. Yeah. I'll try to get through this in a fast, but legible way. Title of my story is just worst SFX CGI in a blockbuster movie, but it's also the first line of dialogue. Worst SFX CGI in a blockbuster movie. Just ignore them. Like, seriously, those CGI special effects were the worst I've ever seen. Worse than Jar Jar. Worse than Cats. Keep walking. That's what I keep telling myself as we, the audience, slowly evacuate the theater where we all witness the latest blockbuster superhero film. The faces kept, like, floating off their heads at times. Dude, it looked like their souls were being ripped up from their bodies. Worse special effects. I have to quickly remind myself that I didn't even work on the face effects as much as Kevin did. Eyes front. I'm almost out. They should have just done it practically like Interstellar. That movie looks like so real. It has no CGI in it, and it looks the freaking nominal. They're just idiot film bros who haven't seen enough movies or watched enough special features. They definitely didn't watch the features on Interstellar, or they'd know how much CGI is in that film. Not like me. I'm a true fan. I mainlined the Lord of the Rings DVD appendices. That's what got me into this. Hours of watching animators talking about how they brought Gollum to life. That's why the passionate love for filmmaking burns so brightly in my soul. Stay focused. Don't let that fire fuel your rage. I know the crowd is moving slower than you'd like, but that exit sign is getting closer. Dude, I'm considering suing the studio. It's that bad. The only way effects like that get made is by inhuman incompetence. Worst visual effects CGI ever. They should have been smart and taken more time. Don't. Finally, you got some things right. Who said that? Oh, it's me. Maybe the disgruntled theater goers behind me won't realize I was remarking on their conversation. I can feel the inquisitive stares hit the back of my head. What? You got it right. You keep calling the CGI special effects. CGI is part of visual effects because it's done in post. Special effects are captured on camera. There are no CGI special effects, and a lot of people don't know that there are two distinct types of effects, but they often work hand-in-hand on blockbusters like these. Oh, okay, that's cool to know. Yeah, it really is. And you're right, they should have taken more time. But you know what? They can't take time. They can only be given time by the producers and studio heads. The request of any VFX or SFX artist to delay a film or more to make better art falls on deaf ears. The studio heads want to make money and meet their release. They don't care about the quality as long as it makes them money. It's all about the bottom line. They want a cash return on their investment because that's all they see these works of art as, investments. And what do we get in return? We don't get any of the return, that's for sure. We get overworked, underpaid, and laid off because the studio doesn't want to pay their writers. And Interstellar has thousands of CGI VFX shots. You're a writer? Nay, I am a VFX artist and I help create that which you have deemed the worst special effects CGI in a blockbuster movie. Thou hast besmirched the art of me and my brethren VFX artists, 
and I am challenging you, brothers of the film, to a duel. Har, har, har. Fool of a VFX artist. We are legion. There is no winning this duel for you. Stand down now and let us not shed blood on this theater floor. Silence your forked tongue, Hydra. The theater seats are stained red with the blood of my forefathers and their slain foe. The voice in the back of my head starts laying on the guilt really thick. I could have just walked away, but I have to defend my honor. For too long, I have sat idly by at these screenings, letting many a film bro just mislabel my work as special effects when they are actually visual effects and insult the art using derogatory dialogue. My heart beats no more in Morse code as I clench my fists and ready myself for the battle to come. Thankfully, the rest of the theater has emptied. All that remain is the mass of the uninformed opinions in front of me. They tower above my humble stature, writhing and hissing. They let out a guttural roar that shakes me to my very core. I don't know what I've gotten myself into. I hear the theater attendees lock the door behind me. No escape. The beast lets out another mighty bellow. My knees almost buckle from the sound waves. I search deep down in the nucleus of my being for a response. The FX ancestors give me strength. Resonating from deep inside me erupts a primal scream. How about thee? I leap through the air at the beast, landing an uppercut under one of its many jaws. The beast is stunned at my tenacity, but only hesitates for a moment. It smiles as it swings its spiked tail towards me. Luckily, it catches me on the dull flat side and hurls me into the top rows of the theater. Collecting myself in the pile of chairs that broke my fall, I rip two of the cup holder armrests from the seats and brandish them as my weapons, twirling them around my body. I can see I am intimidating the monster with my martial arts skill. It masks its fear with a deep chortle before spewing toxic acid in my direction. I dodge the vomitous attack. I can hear the sound of the velvet seat cushion slowly being dissolved by the bile. I run along the side of the theater swiftly, jumping row to row, trying to flank the film bros. It's slow, but powerful. It catches me in its side eye and swings the tail around again. I won't be caught again in this trap. I do an aerial flip to avoid the tail. Its arc of motion wipes out the front row seats. That's why I always sit center middle, I quip aloud. I land my flip just in time to see many mouths filled with sharp yellow teeth heading my direction. I parry their toothy blows using my handy armrests. One goes straight for my throat. I wedge its jaw open with one of my batons. The beast chokes back the cup holder. Now it's stunned and very angry. In my brief moment of victory, I fail to see one of its clawed paws lash out at me. I am slashed across my back. It stings and burns. The only thing soothing the fire in my flesh is the cold blood I feel flowing from my wounds. There is a moment of respite where the beast and I look lock eyes trying to collect ourselves. The lights in the theater go down. The next show is about to start. But not before a look inside some upcoming films with Maria Menounos. Maria's charismatic voice scores the continuation of our brawl. I block and jab the beast while the debris of our battle gets caught in the beam of light coming from the projector. In one of the many lunges towards my throat that the monster makes, jaws open wide, I manage to unlodge one of its great canines. I now have a sharp object to pierce its scaly exterior. Hark, what is this? The voice in the back of my head stops braiding me for getting it into this mess and alerts me to a new development. I spy a hole in the armor of the beast. Tis just below its left nipple. And it's the perfect place to put this tooth. I run faster than I ever have uh, back up the theater. I jump to and climb one of the speakers still hanging from the wall. Atop this speaker, I aim the human bullet that is myself at the monster barreling towards me like a freight train. We are about to find out who wins. 
the unstoppable force for me, the immovable object. Maria Menounos, thanks for checking out her first look at Amazon Prime's next upcoming series, All Goes Black. When the projector turns back on with the first green band of the trailers, I find myself at the monster's feet. It looks down at me in amazement. In between its gaze and me, a tooth protrudes from under its left nipple. A geyser of blood gushes forth, soaking me and coating the whole theater in crimson. Falling back in defeat, the beast lets out a sigh, almost as mighty as its roar. It is then that I realize the horror of what I have done. I use a seat cushion to stop the bleeding and keep pressure on the film bro's wound until the paramedic arrives. I hold its hand on the ambulance ride to the hospital. I pace the waiting room, waiting for the surgeon to emerge from the operating room. I sit by my foe's bed, the heart monitor beeping steadily. A nurse comes by to check on me and the bro. She hangs her head and says, when will it end? Indeed. When the film bro finally opens its eyes, I rush to its side. Why are you <coughs> here? It manages to wheeze. Because I made a mistake. This got out of hand like all the other duels between audience members and film artists. You were just expressing your opinion, which you're more than entitled to. I make this art for you. You don't have to like it. And it's not a matter of intelligence if you don't like it. We need to stop fighting each other. You are a mighty beast, film bro. And you are a cunning warrior, VFX, artist. We should join forces and go after the people who really screwed us over. Who? The people who run the studio. The people who laid me off because of the writer's strike. The people who told me to hurry up and wait than to hurry to finish my animations. The people who greenlit a movie starring a criminal and try to cover up their crimes the whole time they were marketing the movie. It's time we killed the studio. I cannot do it alone. What say you, film bro? Will you join me on my quest to vanquish the true foe? What say you? I say, I'm a big fan of practical blood effects. I want to give a demonstration to these studio heads on the difference between visual CGI blood effects and special blood effects in person. You just have to explain it to me again without stabbing me with my own tooth. Ha <laughs> you son of a bitch. The end. Yes. Oh my God. Wow. That was so good. Thank you Thank so you. much for sharing. First of all, I had to, I had to. <laughs> it's yeah. true. I, uh, it's, it's I, I a story you. that had to be told. Yeah, of course. Yeah. This, is, this is a story that just was bubbling out of you. You had to get it mm -hmm. out, of course. I had to get it out. There's yeah. there's so much that I really, really enjoyed about it. First, I think incredible last line. Got to start with that. Uh, Thank you. I just recently watched an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and it just made me think of that uh, uh -huh. in a great way. And I love that. Um, I love that you are able to kind of tell two different stories here. You've got kind of your what the story is about, like the argument of between this, this uh, douchey film bro and this, this artist as well. Like that's part of the story. And then you're able to transform that into like this very fun fantasy action scene uh, in a theater also, which I love. Uh, and the fact that you're able to kind of get all of that and then also have a, a really awesome resolution <laughs> that is very fun as well. <laughs> The fact that you're able to kind of like combine all of that into like a very small story still is so cool. Like there's so much to this that I, I, and I enjoyed all of it. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. And I was like, I was having fun not describing like how many film bros there were and if there was more than one, that kind of thing. And um, I hope it wasn't too jarring when it kind of went weird. 
Um, but I just sort of wanted to get weird with it, I guess. I, and um, I can, I feel like I can yeah. see, I can feel the exact moment where you're like, I'm bored. I'm going to do something fun. And, yeah. and it works like it, the way that you're able to kind of pivot, uh, from this. I, I also love that your main character is, is a, a perfect combination of like righteous anger of like being angry f for a good reason. And also like, uh, well actually type of guy. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. it's, it's, it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> I didn't want him to be right in the end for attacking the film bros because I don't think that he is right. right. You know, like I think, I think everybody's entitled to their opinions and is, is with well within their rights to, to uh, express those opinions. Um, if, as long as they're not like actively hurting someone. Um, but I, I feel at the end, I wanted everybody to learn a lesson, you know? So it's like, it's like a parable. Yeah. It is exactly. Yeah. Like I'm pretty much Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll um, agree with you there. Um, I also you. have to give uh, love to uh, Maria Menounos as a, as a real yes. guy myself. Uh, <laughs> I see nothing but Maria Menounos and Nuvi and all that. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Nuvi. Yeah. I wish I had dropped a Nuvi reference, but I just sort of wanted, I just wanted to talk about Maria Menounos. That's all. Um, that's all you needed. I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. was so excited when i saw her name <laughs> i was when i was happy when you said like i go see a lot of movies i'm like oh good this reference won't hopefully go over his head like he'll understand what i'm talking about it was like you were speaking directly good. to me <laughs> with that good line. Uh, good i, I yeah. love i love going to movies i think the theater experience is is an important part of the process like to be able mm -hmm. to like see it as it was meant to be seen um and and so the the idea of there being like this cool like fight scene in a theater and obviously we've we've had like terrifying p points of violence in theaters and this was like the fun side of that you know where it's like yeah we can have like a fantasy action fight scene in a theater without it being like too real you know and i yeah. think that it, it it towed the line of like especially with the dialogue as well like once it shifts into like fantasy dialogue you're like okay i know where this is headed and i i, I understand this tone now uh, and it works it so works yeah, and I wanted the like I wanted it to just be over the top after a certain point, like you know, um, and it is. It's interesting watching YouTube videos with VFX artists, especially like the like the corridor crew when they bring on people mm -hmm. and they talk about like the response people have to their visual effects and things like that, and how it does kind of hurt them in a lot in a lot of ways. Like you know, to, to hear when people are like, "This looks bad. This sucks." Like, because no one likes hearing their stuff being. Like as, as an artist myself, no one likes hearing that, you know? Yeah. Um, even if it is bad, like no one likes hearing it still. So, totally. um, but so maybe, uh, maybe if a VFX artist will read it and live vicariously through this, you know, maybe there's some wish fulfillment here, you know, we'll bring some comfort to them. Um, yeah, exactly. Hope so. Was That's that what I'm trying of, to do. Was that kind of the idea behind the, the idea for this was to kind of look at it from the artist's perspective and, uh, I think so. It, it, like, was there a specific, yeah. maybe, did you see a movie recently that you were like, this, this makes me think of this? Cause for me, it was the flash. Was there, or there it was the one? flash for me too. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I kind of, I, I sort of was trying to nod at the, that the movie they watched was the flash. Yeah. And, uh, um, which I think like on like that to get like weird, but like I saw it for free. I don't think I would pay money to see it, but also I don't know if like, I don't like, I'm not saying no one should like pay money to see it. Like if you want to go see it, you should go see it. But for me, like, I don't think I would have paid money to see it. Um, 
it, it is a, it is something it's a movie that will test you on a lot of levels yeah. which is so weird to say this about the flash movie <laughs> like it's like like the story itself i was like i don't like the messaging in this movie in general but i also don't like the messaging that this movie is putting out there and also like yeah the visual effects aren't good like there are moments in the movie though that i'm like this is really good I yes. really like this. Yes. Um, it's a movie that was just a roller coaster to be on. And yeah, but like it's a it's gonna be historic too. Like you kind of it's a train wreck you kind of don't want to look away from, but I also think it's very important. It will be a milestone culturally, I think, going forward is this movie about the ethics of obviously the stories you're telling, but also how you're telling them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy to have two movies in a row where it's that like the messaging in the movies are so similar, but also the messaging behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have to like, you know, the flash, a lot of ethically bad things happening behind the scenes to make the movie. And then like spider verse, similar thing happening, but like you made a good movie with good messaging, but how it was made is kind of now going to test your ability to enjoy it. Right. And um, because of all the crunch, with that yeah yeah yeah, like uh yeah so it's it's crazy to have two movies in a row like that um so close to each other but also that will spark such good conversations going forward um but then also i I threw in that thing because i heard recently yeah like studios are laying off the fx artists and blaming writers on strike for it so yeah, the, um, it, the story yeah. felt very timely. Uh, like, yeah, I, because I, like as we speak, the the writer strike is happening. Uh, yeah, it sucks. Like, pay pay the writers; they're the ones who create the pay stories them. that yeah. make billions of dollars. So, pay them money, and then you'll get good stories again. Uh, yeah, because the last writer strike was a nightmare for everybody. So it's like just you know what's going to happen if you don't pay them. So, so I I I love that you were able to like tell a timely story that felt modern day but also you're able to to bring in kind of your own other elements and other genres even and yeah uh, it just felt it felt fun yeah thank you yeah, i had fun doing it like again i think having that short amount of time forced me to write and i had fun writing thank you i want to and i want to ask you about that specifically with with writing um because because you mentioned like uh, cosmic caveman is your first solo writing uh uh project and so do you have like a process with writing like how did this come to you did it come to you all at once do you go to like a coffee shop what how did it uh, come about for you it came to me it came to me like in, in bits and pieces like a lot of combinations of stories and ideas that i've had and i usually just sort of like pull up the notes in my iphone you know outlining mm-hmm. so the script just exists originally just as like in a series of outlines like i know where it begins i know where it starts sorry that's saying the same thing i know where it starts i know where it ends um a lot of outlining and then it's a very slow process after that filling it in Mm -hmm. so i but with writing for clint how i did it was i wrote an outline um and then what i did was because i i do art i I thumbnailed out the pages so i drew them out myself not like fully but just sort of would draw them out and then kind of like dictate those to myself and into a script form or translate them into a script form so that's my writing process. It's very long and it I put probably too much thought into it, but I, I put it, this, I, writing this fast felt good because I write so slowly. 
Um, I don't know. Do you write fast? Are you able to like, I mean that you wrote that really well, really fast. So I'm, I'm getting um, better. I'm getting better at kind yeah. of letting my brain just get words out there. Cause mm-hmm. normally I'm, I, I historically have been bad overthinking things and not really and like editing as I go rather than just kind of yeah. like word vomiting. Um, and so I've been getting better about that recently. And, um, and a bit, one of the factors of that has been like me going to a shop or like a coffee shop or somewhere else to actually work. Cause yeah. you know, I work from home a few days a week and I'm at kind of at a point where I can't really write that well at home. And so yeah. I've, I've been trying to like force myself to, because I'm like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to call myself a writer, I got to try, you know, I got to go somewhere and do it. Um, yeah. And so you wrote a whole book though, dude, you're a writer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I think generally uh, I, I, can crank out some words better now. But with this, you know, I think I was able to kind of tell the first half of the story and then basically just let myself word vomit the rest out and kind of pick around it from there and take out some stuff and modify some stuff. And um, I, I love I love that you mentioned uh, that you do your own thumbnails for the script. Like, that's so cool. And something that I cannot imagine ever doing for myself um, and you mentioned it because you were an artist yourself, you're able to like write from an artist's perspective, um, which I'm sure Clint appreciates your artist. <laughs> I, I hope, I think he, I think he likes the script at least that's what matters, you know, mm. but I don't, um, like, I don't send him the thumbnails at all because oh, like, gotcha. I want, I don't, yeah. So I like, and I've, what's funny is, is that like, I designed like characters and stuff like that in my, like, I drew them out before I sent him the descriptions of them too. But, like, I will never send him my art for that. Like, unless he wants to see it, like, but actually I think some of it, a lot of it's just gone because I just try to do it on scraps of paper, like on my desk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, because I really love that the artists, the writers that have trusted me to draw their books have kind of given me free reign to change things around if I feel like changing it around. I want to give that to a writer, an artist, but I also don't want them to put too much work into visualizing the page. Um, but not to a point where they feel like stifled. So it's that's where a lot of the thought goes into it is like, am I being too descriptive right now so that I'm not giving the artist enough freedom? But Clint seems to feel like he's very comfortable with the script. He likes how I write. So I, it's so cool. And, and that's something that I definitely personally want to want to get into as well and is, is writing comics and, and yeah. getting into that world. And so I love hearing perspectives from from artists because, you know, whenever I'm working with an artist down the road, I don't want to piss them off. I want to, I want to have a good yeah. relationship with them. And so, so this is all, all a good learning experience for me. A, a new thing that I've been trying to do each episode, cause I think it's, it's fun. Uh, so you saw the topics list and there's a lot of weird stuff in there, right? Oh yeah. Uh, um, so I now would like you to just give me a topic. Just okay. The first thing that you think of, it can be anything. It can be one word. It can be a phrase. The trick is don't think about it. Okay, well, I've been like I'm looking at uh, uh, Willie Nelson's bandana. Hell yeah! There we go. Yeah, I love that. Oh my god, I hope somebody picks it already. Willie Nelson's yeah. bandana. All right. Yeah. This is, this is I love this. This is because it's always something random, and then hey, I might have to write a story about whatever this thing is that. that I hope you things. do. I'm gonna be listening. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I will, you will be notified for sure if if it gets picked. I okay. Think it's I, that's the fun part is letting somebody know that hey. Thanks for submitting something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for letting me pick the topic. That's great. I feel honored to be included. Yeah, of course. I think mostly it's like I have 
decision anxiety and I'm like, I just want the guest to pick. And then I'll, I, I will happily go along with it and write whatever I, I need to write. But right. I'm just like, you know what? I'm the host. I'll let them pick. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You're so, and you're so gracious. Thank you so much for having me on and letting me write the story and then read it out loud. Of course. Uh, absolutely. Very nice. So I, I think a, a good ending segment uh, would be story spotlights. So of course we've, we've read some stories. I love our stories. Um, our listeners obviously love our stories. That's a given, Obviously, uh, but we want to give them something else maybe to check out, to find, to consume. Um, and so this is our story spotlights segment. Um, eventually I'll get a cool little musical cue, uh, maybe done by my brother as well, uh, to, to have for this section, but I don't have one yet. So maybe I'll remind him soon. Um, I've got my story spotlights ready. Would you like me to go or do you want to go first? Yeah. Why don't you go first? And um, I'll just coast off of yours. Of course. I love that. So mine are a couple of comic books from a person that we uh, also attended a a convention with uh, heroes, uh, Ben Sears. Um, Did you get a chance to speak with Ben at all? I did not know. Maybe Uh, I did. I can't remember. I, yeah. Really talented guy, uh, incredible cartoonist. And so the book that I'm currently reading is called House of the Black Spot. Uh, This is just kind of how the art looks. It is so cool. He's got such a unique style uh, and has such a good world building aspect. Um, But the stories, as far as I can tell, like this is kind of an all ages book. Uh, Like it's not like super adult. And I love that about it. Like it kind of reminds me of old – Calvin and Hobbes, which is my all-time favorite. Um, and then the other book of his that I bought uh, at, at the convention that I'm re- going to read next is called Young Shadow, and it looks sick. Uh, Holy moly. I'm showing Noah in the in the Zoom right now. But it is uh, uh, all yellow and all yellow on the interiors as well. So it's oh my just God, that's beautiful. like shades of yellow. It's such a specific-looking book. Uh, that yeah. I cannot wait to check it out. Uh, so, so first one is House of the Black Spot, and the second one is Young Shadow by uh, the cartoonist Ben Sears. Uh, definitely check it out. Check out his stuff. At least follow him on Instagram. He is insanely talented and has just one of the coolest styles I've seen in a while. And I always like that's the thing about heroes is is that I always see people's hauls and it's like, oh, I missed that. Like I, I. Heroes and SPX, both of those shows, they're my two favorite shows, but always I get to see someone's haul and I'm like, I was there all day, every day. How did I miss this table? Um, There's just so much definitely to there. Yeah, there really is. I love that. But no, I loved Heroes this year. We had a, mm-hmm. it was, but it was, it was bigger this year even than normal and I was tabling so I didn't have as much of a chance to walk around, but yeah. still so much talent there it's so great you also mentioned yeah. uh spx uh spx small, small yeah. press expo um which yeah I, I feel like that is the one that i need to hit up next because you I do have wanted to go so badly and this uh heroes con uh that we were just at like 10 people recommended it so it's yeah. it's on the list it has to happen for sure it has to i think you get you get a you get the feeling of what you have at heroes on a smaller scale but what's cool is that most of the people at SPX are young and upcoming like mm-hmm. artists so it's not like I don't know not not that it's bad to have people like Jim Steranko at your show and things like that but you don't get sort of like I guess 
celebrity comics guests, I guess. Like it's even more pure of a love from comics than even heroes is, which is weird to believe. Like I it's know, like, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I love SPX. And I love I, heroes. Both I can't, are my favorites. I can't wait to check out SPX. When, when is it? Yeah. Is it? It's the second weekend of September and it's the, a, the ninth through the 10th. I'm pretty sure of September. I think that's right. Are you tabling yeah. this year? Are you going this year? No, I, I, I like tabling at Heroes, but I kind of missed just being able to walk around. It was good to table at Heroes. It was a new experience, but I've always just gone as a guest. SPX, I just love go walking around too much. Um, maybe in a in a few years, but I don't know. I love I love SPX too much. I think to want to table there. Not that I know that that I'll hate it or afterwards or anything like that, but I just want to walk around. And, Cause you get yeah. the chance to just talk to people and, and like, yeah, it's, it's so inspiring uh, just to like talk to people doing things that you also want to be doing or are currently doing. Um, and, and I think this year, especially at heroes was like the year that I came away from like, man, I feel good. Like I feel inspired. Like our conversation mm-hmm. was great. The fact that we're talking right now is so cool. Like the yeah. just random chance that we haven't been to have a great conversation. And now we're, now we're talking on a podcast, you know? And then like, yeah, that is so cool. It makes me want to create things myself. Like it is just, it's so pure, I think. And um, I already is. can't wait for next year. I'm, I'm already starting to budget and save money, save any cash that I grab just to throw it in my drawer for my heroes fund uh, for next year. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. It's uh, both shows. I always come away from feeling like I want to make comics, like, like a rejuvenation and, and wanting to make comics, but also a rejuvenation this year, like me and, Matt was at the table with, and um, he's publisher on Cosmic Caveman. He's my co-host with Constructing Comics. Mm-hmm. We both sort of walked away from this being like, we need to do more shows because like, it's just cool to meet people. And yeah, so re-energized definitely is how I feel. It was it was hard getting back to the real world. I'll say that. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> like I it's was... every year. Yeah. <laughs> I was miserable. I was like, I just want to be back. I want to be among my, my nerds, my friends, like, yeah dude it's like every year it's like uh, i didn't work i haven't worked the mondays after like the most recent times that i've done it Mm -hmm. with good reason just because coming down from heroes con is so hard (laughs) and recovery um, day built in yeah yeah it's like definitely like physical exhaustion emotion like just like also like social exhaustion but like Mm -hmm. But there is that sadness because it's just like oh like yeah some of these people i won't see for another year and i don't know it's like a good, it's like space camp, I guess. I never went to space <laughs> camp, but from what people have told me, this is what space camp is like. I was never, so. uh, I, I don't think I ever went to space camp either, but it did always seem like the coolest thing. Yeah. And, and I would describe heroes as the coolest thing. So it is the coolest thing. Yeah. It's a great, it's a for great sure. symbol. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I think this has been such a great conversation. I absolutely loved getting to, to learn more about you, learn more about your, your background and hear your story. That was such a fun story. Um, of course, like I mentioned at the very beginning, cosmic caveman, the Kickstarter, go check it out. There's, there's going to be a a link in the show notes. Uh, whenever I post uh, about this on our Instagram, I'm going to follow that up with a link as well. So everybody who's listening, go back. it. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. Um, is there if if this gets backed, are you trying to do other issues? Is what's what is there a plan maybe in place? There is a plan in place to do more, you know. And if it doesn't get back this time, we'll just collect ourselves and try to do it again. Hell yeah. Um 
and so, but yeah, there's a plan in place. Um, you know, whether that plan comes to fruition or not, I don't know, but yeah, there is a plan to do more. Cool. Um, and, uh, but Clint's, you know, Clint, the artist, he's really good. Um, definitely check it out. Just if, if just for his art, it's amazing. Um, but also we have a lot of great tiers, you know, where you can get original art by Clint and get variant covers, all that good stuff. And then we also have a, a tier where you can get a sculpture by my friend Lewis, which is really cool. So, you know, get definitely check it out. Yeah. And we have, and I, I, I try to keep things budget friendly, you know, so physical copy isn't hopefully isn't too expensive, but definitely the digital copy is very expensive. So you just want to read it on your phone or on your computer. That's an option. So there's yeah. a tier, there's a tier for everybody for sure. Hope so. It, yeah. Where, which I love because you know, in a lot of Kickstarters, it feels like, you know, you have to invest a lot in order to get uh, a part of it. And so that's what I love about Cosmic Caveman is that you can, you can kind of find your comfortability because yeah, budgeting's hard sometimes, you know? Yeah, it is. And especially on Kickstarter, you know, you want to make sure that you people are getting what they paid for. So, you know, I, I'm just so excited. This has been such a great conversation. Hopefully this is just the the first time that we'll, we'll talk. Uh, Hope so. times. Like, uh, and, yeah. and hopefully we will match exactly I um, hope so. Every time. <laughs> yes. I'm putting it out there that we will. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's out. It's out in the world. Uh, well, mm-hmm. well, thank you so much, Noah. This has been just a blast. Um, check out Cosmic Caveman. Check out the links that are posted. It's it's going to be such a fun story that I, I feel like I have to read now. You've, you've sold me too hard on it. Good. That's all. That, that was my goal. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening uh, and stay toasty out there. S'more Stories is brought to you by the Indiesaurus Podcast Network, which is home to not just one great podcast, but tons of them. Maybe you're in the mood for a, let's say, a Hamtaro watch-along podcast. How about a show that's doing a detailed deep dive into the famed Left Behind book series? Well, you're in luck with Ham Radio and I Survived the Rapture, just two of the many great shows on the Indiesaurus Podcast Network. And oh yeah, The Cellar Dwellers is on there too. Follow us on Instagram at S'more Stories Pod or Colby McHugh. I'll reach out on there for topics periodically, so be sure to submit your best and weirdest. And if you want to follow along with the episodes, feel free to send any stories you've written to s'morestoriespod at gmail.com. Whether you want notes or just someone to put eyes on a story, send it my way. Music and lyrics by Evan McHugh, whose great songs can be found anywhere and everywhere. Go buy them. Logo design by Brittany Wyland, whose work can be found at mess.and.magic on Instagram. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay toasty.